To quote Cobb Vanth from The Mandalorian Season 2, I guess every once in a while, both suns shine on a womp rat's tail. And we hope both suns are shining on your tail at this time. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Nerd Out. I'm Rob Lloyd, and I am joined, as always, by my nerdy friends, Jen Spears and Sandro Felcher. How are you both doing on this evening of exquisite loveliness? Oh, exquisitely lovely. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yes. Wow. What a coincidence. I am as well. <laughs> oh, well, that is just super. Um, and as always, what we have uh, developed through the course of our uh, remote uh, recordings of these uh, uh, podcasts in lockdown, as it were, though we are coming uh, out of that process thanks to the hard work of all Victorians here, and thank you to everybody for all your hard work. Um, we've developed something here within uh, Nerd Out. Just I can't go any further until we find out what has Jen literally <laughs> been consuming this evening. It feels very much like a Uber Eats ad. Like, tonight, <laughs> I'll be eating, except it's tonight for dinner. Um, I had some mushroom meat thing with brown rice and, like, a ra- might have been a ragu. Mm. No, ragu spaghetti. Um, pasta. Sorry, all you, you know, pasta people out there. Um, <laughs> mushroom meat, it had, like, a tomato sauce and some capsicum and some onion and it was on rice and it was fine. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Pretty good. Mushroom meat's really annoying to cook. That's I'm just going to put that out there. So. Pretty good. This is the first take. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll try and get a bit more concise with the second take because, you know, Kim Kardashian has a chicken snitty with chicken salt or whatever. <laughs> um, Tonight, for dinner, I ate mushroom meat. <laughs> she got paid so much money. She got paid so much money for that. <laughs> so much money. Too, more money than sense. So Jen did the, the Uber Eats version of it, so I want you to do the Snoop Dogg rap version oh, of what no. you've been eating. Oh, don't do that. Did somebody say Sandra's food? Do you need me to drop your beat, Sandra? <laughs> it's going to be out of sync, though. Boots and cats and boots and cats and boots Very and cats true. and boots uh, and or cats. Or I ate a nice bowl of spaghetti. Yay! In, no, what rhymes with spaghetti? Uh... Go uh, sit on a jetty. Yeah, there I was know, some jetty. I ate some spaghetti, and my ride or die's name is Letty, and she was killed off in the third movie, but then she wasn't really dead. Oh. That's a Fast and the Furious deep cut, everybody. And while you're watching Mandalorian, don't forget to see the cameo of Boba Fetty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody say, terrible rhyme. <laughs> the spaghetti wow. was everywhere like it was confetti. Hey. Mm-hmm. Like it. And I was eating it like a Yeti oh. and getting real sweaty. <laughs> what? Gross. No. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, that took a turn. That took a turn for the saucy. And I'm not talking bolognese sauce. <laughs> no. Uh, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I think we've uh, warmed up ourselves and the crowd who are listening in on this podcast, the digital crowd, well enough. Yes, it's always a pleasure for us to meet together and talk about food, but we want to get into the hard, nitty-gritty, nerdy-gritty of what we do. And so there's a question that we always ask every week. What have you been consuming lately? I'm very interested to find out what my two friends have been consuming lately. Jen, let's start with you. What have you been consuming lately? Sure thing. Um, I haven't really been... I've been doing the, like, just need something to kind of veg out to um, thing for the last few weeks. Um, so I just, on a whim, um, you know how when you scroll through a, uh, um, 
a streaming service and, it, and if you hover for too long over something, it gives you a little, either a trailer or like a little scene preview. Mm, yep. Mm. Well, I was on uh, Binge mm. um, just to make sure I was worth my while keeping it um, after I finished Lovecraft Country. Um, and I came across a, a little, no, a, a large <laughs> TV show called Superstore. Um, <sighs> it's Yeah, so it's um, produced by America Ferreira, who you may know from Ugly Betty. Far from ugly. Um, and... and the voice of the lead female in the How to Train Your Dragon movies. Oh, really? I can't yes. remember the character's name. Yeah. Yep. She's yep. the... Yeah. Um, and basically it's a um, comedy, short episodes, long seasons, like 22 episode seasons, about a bunch of staff that work at a quote-unquote superstore called Cloud9, i.e. Megamart. Um, what is it in America? Walmart. So... Um, I was kind of like, oh, you know, this could be a bit dumb. Like, I just kind of chucked it on. And, like, we were, like, I was, we were, like, laughing out loud. There were some really good – This it's very funny. Um, it started out with, like, new person starts and he's a bit of a dick. Um, but then, you know, you're like, this is going to get a little bit old. But then, you, you, you know, he becomes lovable and then smaller characters become bigger parts and um, – yeah, there's some incredible performances, namely um, Lauren Ash, who plays the assistant director, assistant director, assistant manager, and she's like super into security, and she's real like tough and like takes no shit and like will tackle people, and she's um yeah really 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 funny. And then the general manager, the manager of the store, is played uh, Glenn, played by Mark McKinney, who has his voice he puts on sounds like um, a Muppet. So Patty and I were sitting there going, he must be one of the, he must voice one of the Muppets. Uh, No, he doesn't, um, but he certainly sounds like he does. Um, But yeah, it's just a really, um, it's very heartwarming. It's very cringy at times because you have these awkward moments. Um, It's very, that classic, like, why did you say that? Why didn't you just do this? Now you've, it's going to be a big issue. And they also never, um, what I really appreciate is they never forget a joke. Like, you know, sometimes something will happen and you'll go, that was dumb. And they never come back to it. Like they never revisit it. But, like, if someone, for example, I don't know, um, someone puts something on the shelf wrong and you go, that's not where that lives. Before the scene's over, someone would be like, you know, that's not where that lives, right? So it's all very, like, yeah, it's, it's and to the point where you kind of go, ha, ah, oh, okay, well, man, oh, that's cool. Like, kind of, um, they they make sure they point out every joke, but it's in a, done in a way that it's, I don't know, it works. Um, I recommend watching a couple of episodes. Like, it might not be for everybody, but it's a good sign when you're, like, laughing out loud. Um, now, uh, yeah, I do need to mention Mark McKinney is, of course, from uh, the iconic um, uh, uh, sketch comedy group from Canada, Kids in the Hall. Um, and he's also in one of my favourite TV shows, a Canadian series called Slings and Arrows, which is about a, sh- a Shakespearean company in Toronto. I actually did pick up that he... I was like, he's he's Canadian because his, his accent's quite strong. And he's definitely standout. He's just this, like, super religious... So he's always talking about his church, but... He, like he's not allowed to talk about religion at work. It's it's against company policy, but he's always trying, like he's setting up the nativity scene for, for Christmas and Dina comes over and she goes, what do we have here? He's like, it's just, a, it's an outdoor setting. Like it's an outdoor barbecue <laughs> display. Look, this is, and she's like, well, who's that? He's like, it's just a baby. She's like, would, do you mind if, so you wouldn't mind if I punted the baby across the store and, you know, hilarity ensues. So he's just this <laughs> really beautiful, well-meaning, never gets angry um, guy and it's just he's very sweet so he's definitely a standout performance 
Um, so I've been watching that and we're like midway through season two, I think. Um, and it's got six seasons, so getting through that. Um, but the other thing I want to talk about was that um, something I, I don't think I've talked about in consuming, uh, and that's video games. Um, so Patty went out and got the new PlayStation 5 a couple uh, last Thursday. Feels like a couple weeks ago because, yeah, he's been playing it <laughs> nonstop. Um, and we were just kind of like looking at some of the new games that were coming out and they um, I saw an ad for uh, Planet Coaster, which is oh, yes. uh, for anyone who's ever played Roller Coaster uh, Tycoon, I think it's called. Um, it is, yeah, basically it's... My favourite games growing up were like The Sims or SimCity, um, Age of Empires, like kind of world-building stuff. You get to, you know, put houses down and then you have to like earn money or, you know, chop down wood to make houses and stuff. And I love that kind of stuff. So looking at the trailer, it was just like you literally design your own theme park. Um, And it is so much fun and I like – and I've rediscovered the reason why I don't really game a lot because I sat down at 4 p.m. yesterday just to add a little a little section to my theme park and I've st- I like looked up and it was midnight. So um, <laughs> really fun, but that that's kind of why I don't game very much because I just I lose track of time completely. Um, it's really cool. It give, you've got the option to sort of you go through a tutorial and it kind of prompts you to do certain things and then you move up in the levels. Um, you can be you know you can you know, have a pirate themed theme park and they kind of take you through how to build a roller coaster. So you can like decide what level you want to play. You can have all the items there for you that you just kind of plonk down and decorate and put stuff around, or you can build from scratch, which is a little bit, a little bit much beyond my ability, like literally taking brick by brick, building a, you know, a roller coaster and then having to, you know, um, you know, test it and make sure people aren't throwing up on it and then if you know it's too steep they'll get too scared and they won't go on it so they won't pay money for it so there's all these different levels of of how you can actually get involved but for me it's very much like uh, the design side of it I really enjoy the only like downside I've found is most of those games that I played growing up were on PC so they were very click and point and drag um, and move around whereas this it's the two joystick plus um for camera and moving and then the two triggers are your zoom in and zoom out and that I find really hard to sort of maneuver I'm like I just want to click on that item I don't want to have to zoom in and get the cursor by like moving around like that and I think that'll come with time as I play more (laughs) six hour chunks um so yeah I've been having a freaking ball like my um the one I'm working on now is fairy tale themed um and it's just fucking awesome you just like you know add little sections and you little I've got like a little town and then you've got like the castle and there's like the fairy tale forest and you know from the smallest thing like adding a bloody you know a lantern up all the way up to like building a roller coaster and managing your staff and your janitor gets upset because there's too much rubbish and he hasn't had a rest and all this stuff so it's like I would recommend it for people who don't really game as such and just like that kind of um world building and design kind of game um super fun and i'm gonna try not to play it on weeknights because i literally (laughs) because it takes me so freaking long to do one thing um because it can be quite touchy until you get used to the controls i'm like well i just spent an hour trying to line these bushes up and put some you know lights between them (laughs) like i was going to do this whole thing and now i've just done this one area so 
um, yeah, but it's been nice to actually get back into the into the gaming. Though I'm sure Paddy's not super happy that I'm taking up his precious um, <laughs> Miles Morales and Assassin's Creed time. Oh um, yeah. But there's not a lot of only um, like new new games to come out. So yeah, um, that have come out. So he's you know I'm not taking up too much precious new game playing time. So. <laughs> um, but we lo- PlayStation Five is awesome. Um, load times are crazy fast, and the controller is really sick. Um, for all you gamers out there, that's my <laughs> unprofessional, unexperienced opinion on the on the Dual Shock. It's got some really sick um, like resistance and um, and tactic. Um, sort of feedback on the triggers and stuff. It's really cool. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's I've just been playing roller uh, Planet Coaster. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's been really fun. Um, what have you been consuming lately, Sandra? I'm just I'm just halfway through a lot of stuff at the moment. Mm. Um, halfway through reading the book Stephen King put out at the start of the year, uh, which is a collection of four novellas. So halfway through that. All four have already been optioned uh, to be movies, so that's great. Um, <laughs> so I'm reading them. The Power of King. Exactly. So I'm halfway through that, uh, halfway through Doom Patrol Season 1. I started it months ago, but um, I just picked it back up again, and I'm getting into the section of that season where it's not just absurd, but it's also starting to get a bit smarter as well. So I'm really enjoying that. Uh, halfway through Clone Wars Season 7, um, when it first aired, <gasps> that was that was after episode episode 9 and the discussion with episode 9 I was just sick of Star Wars at that point I was just like (laughs) I need a break like episode 9 was exhausting Um, so I had to take a break but now that you know things seem to be crossing over a little bit more with Mandalorian I'm I'm jumping on that Mm -hmm. to, to finish it off uh, and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Bad Batch was okay. Uh, it was just like classic Star Wars. The Ahsoka story is, again, just classic Clone Wars. It's it's good. It's not great. But I know that the final four are going to be incredible. So I'm excited to go through those. Yeah, it's it's interesting how they break it up into four sections. So you've got the Bad Batch. You've got Ahsoka finding a place right after um, yeah, what happened with season five, the massive cliffhanger. Um, and then the final four is just... A masterpiece. Yeah. It, oh, mm, yeah. I'm excited. And then um, I'm also going to read the Ahsoka novel that came out, I think, after the season cliffhanger of Rebels Season 2. Um, a novel came out then that I'm going to I'm gonna read after Clone Wars, just to make sure I'm completely caught up for Mandalorian. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 with all things Ahsoka. Yeah, let me know how it is, because I'm not... Yeah, you know, there's so uh, touch and go with, you know, with those written Star Wars adventures, especially since Disney acquired it. So we're not yeah. sure what's high quality and what isn't. I've heard, I've heard, um, uh, uh, the Thrawn one's pretty good. Yeah. So. I've heard the Thrawn one and the two layer books are pretty excellent. Um, yeah. And the one I read that was a prequel to Rogue One was pretty good as well. So yeah, I'll, I'll see. I've, pretty sure i talked about that on the show uh, a while ago which was the last time i read a star wars book which was before last (laughs) jedi which was (laughs) after last jedi i was just like i'm sick of star wars (laughs) yeah 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 because of the conversation around all that stuff uh but the main thing that i wanted to talk about was uh the haunting of bly manor i was almost gonna say hill house uh but that is what jen talked about last week um but i guess the best way to start off talking about Bly Manor is talking about Hill House because it's perfect. It's a perfect show. Mm. I loved it. Came out in yep. 2018. I absolutely devoured it. It was my favorite show of the year in 2018. And and ever since that ended, there was always talk about it becoming an anthology series. So when Bly Manor was announced, I was really excited because uh, 
you know, big fan of Mike Flanagan and what he did in in Hill House, which did lead to me being a little bit disappointed when I then found out that he was only writing and directing the first episode. He wrote and directed every episode of Hill House. He only does the first episode of Bly Matter. Um, And on one hand, I'm like, that's great. It's good to see other directors coming in and doing their thing. Uh, I think that there's maybe five other directors. Most of them get two uh, two episodes each. Uh, so I was excited to see what other people would do with him just kind of being in an executive producer role because I think at the time he was pretty busy with Doctor Sleep and uh, the revival adaptation. He's just doing a lot of Stephen King at the moment. Uh, he seems <laughs> yeah. to be King's go-to director, uh, which is great because he's an incredible director. So I was a little bit disappointed when I heard that he wasn't directing every episode, but then the majority of the cast were coming back with some new... Um, cast members like uh, Raul Coley, who I've been a big fan of for a while. He was on the show I Zombie, um, the CW show I Zombie. So I was like, cool, you know, the cast is back, plus great new cast members. It could be good. Uh, it came out, I sat down and I watched it, and it is good. It is good, but it's not It's <laughs> not great, unfortunately. It's hard to compare them, and I almost don't want to compare them because they are very different, but they're both under the haunting banner, so you you know, you know, yeah. kind of have to. Um, Hill yeah. House is perfect. It is three thumbs up, five stars, incredible stuff. Like, it's up there with shows like The New Watchmen. It's on that level. It's phenomenal. Mm. This is... I'm just going to get the rating out now. It's, it's like a one thumb up, you know? It's a four-star show. It's good, but perhaps a little too long. It's probably a little bit too convoluted at points. Uh, the acting's mm. phenomenal. The script is a little bit too uh, on the nose at times, a little bit too overly emotional. That's a sort of emotion from something like Star Trek Discovery, where the emotion isn't coming from the performances, it's coming from the script, uh, which yeah. is, yeah, not my favourite. So... If you aren't familiar, The Haunting of Blind Manor is an adaptation of not just the turning of the screw, but just Henry James's work in general. They kind of put almost everything in there. From what I've yeah. read of him, from what I know of him, it's pretty much everything. Unlike Hill House, which was basically just the Shirley Jackson novel, uh, this seems to be the majority of work that Henry uh, James has c- created. It's about these these, these two kids... That, that live in Bly Manor, along with a gardener, uh, a chef, and then a housekeeper. They need a new au pair, because uh, their previous au pair um, tragically passed away. So they hire uh, Danny, played by Victoria Pedretti, uh, a carryover from uh, Hill House. She was um, probably one of the more uh, tragic characters from Hill yeah. House, her episode oh, in particular. Yeah. Uh, so so she, she's hired... By Henry Thomas, who is the brother of um, of uh, the kid's parents. Uh, well, one of the kid's parents, obviously, or else that would be a bit weird. Um, <laughs> so she's hired. She, she goes there, and uh, yeah, she's basically a, a nanny to these two kids. Uh, but they're a little bit creepy. The kids are a bit creepy. They're a bit weird. And <laughs> as you can guess from the title of the show, there's ghosts and spooky things that happen throughout the course. Of it, except not really, because this is more of a gothic love story. Yeah. It's not yeah. really horror. Like, there are definitely horrific moments, uh, and the first episode is directed like an episode of Hill House, because Mike Flanagan directs it, um, and he, yeah, he directs it the same way that he directed Hill House, which I think, perhaps, a little bit of a red herring, 
because there's so many moments in that first episode that don't matter. There's like one right. of the the scariest moments of that first episode never comes back. You see something in this scene and it's not important. It never comes back. Oh my god, can you tell us what it is? It's not really a spoiler, is it? No, it's the um it's just like one of the ghosts that like slightly moves. Aww. Um, and yeah, there's like okay. a noise and it's like, pay attention t- t- to the ghost. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at oh. all. Which is... So not like, um, in Hill House where you constantly had these ghosts in the background that they didn't draw attention to, but when you notice them, you're like, that's cool. Mm. This was like, this is important. And it was like, no, not really. Yeah. I think there are ghosts yeah, okay. in the background of every, of every episode, but yeah, unlike, uh, unlike Hill House, it doesn't really seem to matter mm. too much, which is a shame. Okay. Uh, all the performances are fantastic. I mean... Victoria Pedretti is fantastic. Uh, her performance is great. Her accent took a little bit of time to get used to because she was yeah. very much a New Yorker in this. Uh, which... mm. She reminded me a lot of um, Hilary Duff. She felt very <laughs> Hilary Duff from uh, younger in that. I didn't see that. Yeah. To me? Yeah. <laughs> Amelia Eve, who plays uh, the gardener, she's particularly great. I think her performance was pretty she's excellent. Um, I think my favourite might be Tinia Miller, though, who plays the housekeeper. Uh, her story arc is is tra- tragic. I picked it up. I picked up what was happening pretty much from the first episode. Me too. Yeah. It was, yeah, just like watching her her character grow and finding out why certain things are happening are pretty good. The two kids are pretty good as well. Uh, the, mm. kid, the kid that plays Miles, um, the older of the two, there were so many moments in the first episode where I went, is he purposely acting like poorly or is that an, <laughs> or is that a choice? And as yeah. the season goes on, it you sort of see that it's kind of a choice, which is amazing that an actor of his age would make it, yeah. would make an acting choice like that, or a director I, would, would be so good at directing kids to tell this young kid to do that. Because I thought that about the girl as well. I was like, oh, is she deliberately being like a bad posh actor and then as the story develops and yeah, you see that it is a choice yeah um, um which is good she, she's great as well although i found out pretty early on that she's the current voice of peppa pig and you ruined that for me by telling me that that's all i can hear is being like peppa pig i'm perfectly splendid i'm like oh it's so distracting when she knows she's peppa pig but yeah uh i think that yeah that she was great. Obviously, Henry Thomas, amazing. Uh, it's always good to see him oh, so good. in stuff. Uh, and um, Carlo Guino is in this as well. Uh, the the mum from from Spy Kids is what I always call her. She was in the Hill House <laughs> as well. Oh, she opens the narration. Yeah, she's the narrator, and her accent is not very good. <laughs> Terrible. She she goes from being like pretty standard non um, non regional British accent to. Just making odd choices on some of her vowels. Yeah. Um, I can't think of an example right now, but she goes from non-regional to suddenly she's like Highland, like up north. And it's like, what? The greater good kind of vibe. She says good, but everything else, instead of saying uh, good, she says good. And it's like, we weren't, nothing else led you up to this accent. So yeah. was quite, I found that quite jarring, but yeah. That's a shame. She's normally quite good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, And uh, the other thing that was quite jarring was in all of her scenes, for some reason, Greg Sestro from The Room, they cast him as the fiancé. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's like, that's the guy from The Room. Why is he? (laughs) Why is he in this? Dude's got to work. That's funny. He does. And he's good, uh, I guess. He's got two lines. He doesn't tell me why he's over them, so that's fine, I guess. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) 
the low st- the low standards we have from anyone who appeared in the room because okay look, at least they at least he wasn't as bad as Tommy was out that's cool. yeah yeah the thing with the show is one of the reasons why I loved Hill House was every episode focused on the character because it was about this large family for Blind Manor they do the same thing and I don't think it works I don't think mm. one episode being half flashbacks for a particular character works too yeah. well mainly because the characters just aren't as interesting like the one yeah. that focused on Nell uh not Nell to Danny <laughs> I'm getting them mixed up the one that focused on Danny and her flashbacks was probably the only episode that I found super effective um yeah, like when same. you find out yeah what? like what happened I got goosebumps I was like this is awful but that was the only time whereas with hill house every episode kind of affected me that way and i don't know yeah. if it's because mike flanagan was less involved and um his directing style is just on such a different level to pretty much everyone else working on horror right now i don't know if that's why or if it's just because yeah the characters weren't as interesting i'm not sure but uh yeah i just i found this didn't hit as hard i still liked it but yeah yeah, I'm five. I've taken a break. I'm five episodes in, but I remember being less than five episodes into Hill House and being like, "Can't wait for the Blah characters episode." Really want to know why, mm. what they're hinting at there, and this and that. And I wonder if it's because all the flashback, well, all the long flashbacks in Hill House were back at the house, and they were coming. It was like everything was coming full circle, and what happened then? I mean, what ha- in Blind Manor? What's happening back then is affecting them now. But I don't know. Like you kind of, it was like two. The flashbacks and the, the current were two cons- sort of running, con- you know, parallel to each other through the story, mm. whereas, and kind of meeting in the middle almost, whereas the Blind Manor feels very like, this is the story and this is their flashback. How, like, I don't know, it just, yeah. Hill House felt like a very much like a, um, and now and then kind of running yeah. alongside each other. Yeah, which which also kind of comes back to the fact that they have adapted so much in this, like so many separate books and have kind of mashed them together. Because, yeah, you do have like, uh, like Henry Thomas's flashback episode, which feels like something completely different. I don't want to spoil yeah. it too much, but there's like a sort of alter ego and it yeah. never comes back and you're just like, what? Like it looks cool and his performance is great, but this doesn't matter. Whereas Hill House, everything was affected by the house. Everything was connected. Mm. I don't know. I liked it, but I don't think it worked as well. And I was a little bit disappointed, but uh, it's, if you like Gothic romance, you'll probably dig this one more than Hill House, which was just kind of straight up horror. So I don't know. It depends. Um, yeah, one thumb up. I've been waiting to talk about this show for a while. <laughs> so I went on for a bit too long. But yeah, uh, yeah, Blind Manor, unfortunately, not not exactly as great as I thought it would be, um, which is a shame. But I'm going to throw it over to Rob. What have you been consuming lately? Um, well, um, I think I talked about it on uh, the spin-off show as well, but I'm like powering through... Um, uh, the works of Ben Aronovich. So I've just finished listening to uh, the audible of uh, the second book in the Rivers of London series, Moon Over Soho, mm-hmm. um, which is amazing, incredible. Um, it just takes everything from the first one and develops even further and really helps establish more of the lore and some of the other um, creatures that exist within this world that he's created. Um, so I'm looking forward to starting uh, the third book when I get around to uh, downloading that off um, onto my phone. Um, I've uh, inspired by 
getting all uh, Mandalorian season two. I've gone back to watch um, some of uh, Clone Wars, so some of the seasons that I've missed. So I've just powered through in the last couple of days. Um, I'm about halfway through season five that I'd never seen before. So I saw um, the introduction of Saw Gerrera. Um, uh, when he was very cool and not an embarrassment of Forrest Whitaker being allowed to do too much. <laughs> um, what is it with young director, young directors letting experienced actors fuck around too much? It, Ryan Johnson, you should have just told Benicio Del Toro, stop it, stop it. And, yeah. um, and Catherine Edwards needed to do the same thing, just go, Forrest, stop it, stop it. Um, but yeah, and um, a little... Um, the, the great thing about Clone Wars is if you haven't seen them, they break them up into mini stories that go over a couple of episodes. So you've got the Saw Gerrera story where the, um, the Jedi, uh, Ahsoka Tana, oh, is um, <laughs> so like supervising this uh, this group trying to liberate their planet from Separatist control. Then it goes into a whole story about a group of younglings who have to hunt down their kyber crystals to build their lightsabers. Oh, I love that one. I love that story. It, it just, it's wonderful story and again uh, they're being supervised by Ahsoka Tana oh! um, <laughs> and and then they go into a, a next one which is about it's really good it's like the Dirty Dozen but with all the droids yes. um, which is a cute little one as well which is just wrapped up um, and I'll tell you what I've forgotten I've, I kind of knew it and what kind of gave me fatigue is that pretty much every episode is just like an intense war um, movie in 20 minutes and it, even though they spread it out over a multi-episode series it kind of still feels that way so the body count is astronomically high there are so many people who die in this because <laughs> during the war so and, and watching it go this is so intense for a kid's show um, and even with the astro, astro mech droids and all that doing some funny crazy slapstick then there's all the death of all these droids which is really weird because they're not real but they feel pain or they feel emotion which is kind of weird <laughs> yeah. uh, don't think too much about it <laughs> um uh, so that was that that's that's been cool um, and just I forgot how much um, whether um, I, I don't know I need to check this Sandra you might know it more than me because uh, I know Ahsoka was introduced in the Clone Wars movie which was then turned into the series yeah um, which I decided let's just chuck that out into the movie screen and that was not a good idea <laughs> it was a bad idea yeah I'm not sure if Ahsoka was a creation of George or or or, um... or Dave, Dave Filoni but it has Ahsoka has certainly become Dave's creation yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm definitely seeing her at the height of her character development, season five. She's just on fire. Um, they're going. If George gave birth to it, then it was definitely raised by Filoni uh, as a character. Ahsoka is just wonderful. I forgot how much of an integral part she was of this show, and especially now because she's moving off on her own adventures, which plays later on uh, as we find out. Um, so that's been fun to do. Um, and I've also been listening to, uh, because I'm waiting to download because it's, it's payday tomorrow. Um, uh, yeah, woohoo. Um, uh, I've been listening to, uh, an arrival that I got from Big Finish Audio. Now, those of you in the world of Doctor Who will know about Big Finish. Those of you not in the world of Doctor Who, basically there's a company called Big Finish that was created by some Uber fans, uh, Nicholas Briggs and Gary Russell, who kind of kept Doctor Who alive in the wilderness years of the 90s when there was no Doctor Who. And they came up with this company that they created where they could schmooze 
former Doctor Who's um, because they'd filmed so many interviews and documentaries and all this type of stuff with all these uh, former Doctor Who actors that they were known with within the Doctor Who community and the actors who played them. So they brought in previous Doctors to do these original uh, non-canon Doctor Who stories, uh, recorded them as audio dramas, really, just like a real script, but it's reading it as if it's real, but it's a, a radio play kind of thing. Um, and that developed and grew and um, other famous fans like Mark Gatiss came in to write for one. Um, Russell T Davies was aware of it. Uh, Stephen Moffat was aware of it as well. So they developed this thing and became quite, you know, this little secret amongst Who fans are going, do you listen to Big Finish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And became quite prominent. And there were some incredible stories in the early years of the early noughties. Um, and when the new series came back in 2005, BBC was sort of like, they had no idea what to do with Doctor Who. Russell T came in, Russell T Davies, and he was the showrunner. And he pretty much told the BBC what their show was about. And they're going, now we've heard about this big finish thing. Should we shut this down? We can shut it down. You know, the, and, and Russell T was the man who said, no, we look after this company. They, they are really good for, for Doctor Who. And so he pretty much saved Big Finish from being, um, you know, destroyed. And Big Finish has carry on, carried on doing these original stories with previous Doctors. And now they've become a legitimate part of BBC marketing and franchising. And they've got, you know, BBC um, logos slapped all over them. They've been able to bring in characters from the modern series and do expansions of that. But the thing is, it started as a small project with only releasing certain number of stories and the quality was quite high. Now they produce far too much and their quality has dropped substantially. I only I used to collect as much as I could. Now I only pick select things I want to focus on. And I've got um, what they've been focusing on is bringing uh, uh, this new series called Out of Time, which they're going to do three specials of, which are multi-Doctor stories. And in Doctor Who, they're huge uh, things about Doctor Who is they only do them for the 50th anniversary. We had Day of the Doctor. For the 20th anniversary, we had the five Doctors, which was only like two real Doctors, one guy in a wig, or three Doctors, one guy in a wig, <laughs> and, and footage of the fourth Doctor. Um, and we had the two Doctors in the 80s, uh, later in the 80s. Um, so this one's called Out of Time, and it's the first one in the series, and it's the fourth Doctor, the most, you know, the most iconic Doctor of the classic era, um, teaming up with the 10th Doctor, David Tennant's Doctor, and the most iconic Doctor of the modern series, and they pretty much have to fight it out neck and neck for who's the most popular Doctor of all time. <laughs> um, and they, So they're finally seeing each other for the first time in this audio drama. So... Yeah, Tom Baker's still there. He's still recording Doctor Who audios, even in his 90s. He's an absolute trooper. Uh, David Tennant's coming because he was an Uber fan as a kid. And so he's recorded a couple of um, series as well with Big Finish, with the, the, so like a spin off of the Series 4 uh, Chronicles with um, uh, Catherine Tate coming in. He's also recorded some with Billy Piper. So he's well versed with this. Um, the sad thing is, as I said a while back, just remember, the quality has dropped and this story, it's the, no exception. It's written by Matt mm. Fitton, who's one of their regular writers, and it's just uninteresting. It's really uninteresting. It's really uninteresting sci-fi and it's um, really uninteresting um, dialogue and un really uninteresting characters. And um, so it's kind of influenced by it, – it's – 
a little bit of the past, a little bit of the present, and so it's a, a, it's pretty. It's a little bit of each, and so therefore it's mostly nothing. Right. Um, um, and so the the dialogue is quite bland. The 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 threat is 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 really bland as well. The Daleks are in there, but they're not really that interesting. <laughs> what, when Doctor Who works at its best, it's when it's sci-fi blended hardcore with another genre. So mm. the classic era of the seventies, um, it was like adventure, Avengers, James Bond, uh, gadgets, and and stuff like that with the John Pertwee era, and that turned into a, then it turned into the Tom Baker era, first couple of seasons, which was all gothic horror and um suspense and all that type of stuff um and with this there's no real it's just this kind of you know as they say in the the making of which they do at the end of every uh, recording they have a behind the scenes interview section where they go it's an interesting concept about you know this cathedral that connects to different time zones and all this type of thing and it's yawn city so it's yeah <laughs> It's yeah. a it's it's a real shame. Yeah, it's a real shame. A lot of big finish stuff they do now is just uh, uninteresting, and this was quite uninteresting. They tried to connect it like it's the tenth Doctor near the end of his cycle before he goes on to do mm. uh, the end of time. Um, and so, yes, uh, it's 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 great to hear Tom Baker and David Tennant together. It's I'm just there going. This could have been so much more. Um, so yeah, it's. It's it's yeah, bland city, bland city. Yeah, with big finish, like I used to try and follow the Tom Baker ones when he jumped on, and they were okay. But then yeah, the quality dropped. Maybe in his, like his second season, because like Louise Jameson was there for a while, and I was like, oh, it's these two again, and they were just fun, just based off those two. And then I got kind of bored. The only ones I've really followed are Jago and Lightfoot, um, <laughs> spin off of the Talons of Wen Chiam, which might be my favorite Fourth Doctor story, even though it's not great. I like it. No, it's it's it, it's 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 great. It just yeah has it casts a white actor playing a Chinese character. Yeah, I quite like the Jago and Lightfoot ones, but that's just because I like uh, those style of like Victorian mysteries and stuff. Mm. And then also the Pastanoster Gang ones, pretty good as well. Yeah, I haven't heard any of those yet, but I've I, I listen I've list, I collected the um, they did the War Doctor series, so uh, mm. John John Hurt's um, Doctor from uh, May Mayfly. Doctor from uh, Day of the Doctor recorded uh, four seasons um, of audios before his untimely passing uh, from cancer. Um, And they're wonderful to hear. It's him and Jacqueline Pierce and they're all um, actor friends. They've worked together for like 40 years and they're just phoning it in but they do it uh, them phoning it is is a hundred times better than you know most actors trying their hardest and that's how good they are um and i've also started collecting which i need to re-listen to which i'll be reviewing coming up um uh uh paul mcgann series of the time war so it's about paul mcgann's doctor just before he regenerates um so yeah so they've done all these little passages and it's there's too much material and not enough quality. Um, but then, you know, they're just trying to, yeah, it's more to keep themselves in business um, than opposed to actually creating good stories. I mean, they did revive class, so. Yes. Yes, they did. And how much did we love watching that, Sandro, and then reviewing it? Yeah, Jen, one of the first things I ever forced Rob to watch was the garbage YA Doctor Who spinoff class. Wow. I'm glad you reminded me of forcing people to watch things because I've still got one up my sleeve. You do, you do, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> so with you bringing that up, Sandra, does that mean we're going to do the 
class <laughs> audio spin-off series. If people want us to, message us. If you want us like to. A- <laughs> Sandro just reminded me of those kids in class that at the end of the class goes, oh, miss, you didn't ask about the homework. And you're like, shut the fuck shut up. The fuck up. up. She what the fuck are you doing, no. you fucking uh, yeah, I have not forgotten that you promised that I'm allowed to force you guys to watch something. Yes. I don't know what it is. I still don't know what it is yet. So. Oh, you hold on to that. You hold, uh, I you, will. You, I don't want to waste it. It's such a golden opportunity. Much like the younglings when they're looking for their kyber crystal, when you see your opportunity, when you see it, you will know. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. um, yeah, out of, t- out of time, I give it a schmear. Okay. It's, um, it's, 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 it's really disappointing for such a momentous occasion to have Tom and uh, Tennant um, recording together for the first time, even though it was done in lockdown. So it's a completely lockdown recording, um, and it sounds lovely. It's just such a bland story. Um, so, yeah, that's um, what I've been consuming. Thank you so much for sharing what you've been consuming, Jen, and thank you for sharing in great detail what you've been consuming, Sandro. Um, yeah, uh, you've been building up for that. That's great. But let's go into something we've all been consuming together, and now we get to meet for the first time since these three episodes have come out to talk yes. about it. The Mandalorian season two. Yes, yes the Woo-hoo! the uh, the sh- the the show that really has rocked the world with the introduction of one of you know the cr- it crosses generations, it crosses political lines, or wherever you stand on the world, the child baby Yoda has you know become an icon for everyone to root for. Um, so. As we've had a bit of a break. Um, season one came out at the end of last year, um, and there's much publicity about this was all filmed pre-COVID, so they could get it all in. Of course, they filmed it all in uh, the volume, the, the the big drum where they film everything in, um, and so they could get it all done quickly. So social distancing wasn't a problem, and it's just all about editing and getting all ready. We've been getting up for it. We've got three episodes out and three distinct genres as well for each particular one we've got um john favreau's back dave filoni's back bryce dallas howard's back but there's new directors as well who've been brought in we've got peyton reed we've got um uh we've got um robert rodriguez coming up for um, a future episode and we've also got uh rick uh fayumawi is uh, a director as well and there's two directors we haven't heard about so the, the gang are back together. They're bringing in some, uh, some, some old friends. And we've got some pretty exciting revelations coming up in this episode. I think everyone knows about it. But let's get first impressions. Sandra, what was your first impression of the first three episodes of Mandalorian Season 2? The Marshal, The Passenger, and The Heiress. The Heiress, yes. I love this season. It's great. Um, I remember when the first season started, I really liked it, but... I was still like, this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I think they have completely found their footing and the style that they are going for with this second season. I mean, every episode has hit, as you mentioned, differently. Like, the first one's Mm. kind of a Western. The second one, it's kind of like an oddball comedy with, like, some gross-out elements. The third episode... Uh, just like a straight up action that feels very like Rogue One-esque. They're all so different, different directors coming in doing their own thing, but like Jon Favreau has written pretty much every episode, I think. So So far, yeah. Still, yeah, like it, it still feels quite consistent. The cast are amazing. Everything looks amazing. Even though 
you like we now know that they pretty much film everything against the screen you can't tell it still feels like they're out on a planet filming <laughs> holy shit you cannot tell it looks fucking amazing uh, so yeah, I I am yeah lapping up this season. I like that word, lapping up this season. I'm, I'm yeah, that's a good it. that's a good choice of words. I I am lapping up your use of the word lapping up. <laughs> um, um, what about you, Jen? What's your first impressions of season yeah, two? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm so happy it's back. Like, uh, this is just we talk about the Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker and that kind, and even uh, Solo and Rogue One and just. We kind of go, oh yeah, you know, that's those movies. But this is this feels like Star mm, Wars yeah, properly yeah. for me. Like this, watching this show, even if you're not getting the references or you know the canon references, like especially in the la- the latest episode, it just it just feels like it just feels like Star Wars, and that's and it's funny. And you're right. Like the first episode, of course, everyone's like, uh, everyone. I watched it like two days after it came out, and everyone's like, "You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it." And I was like, "Why do people? Th- what? Of course, I'm gonna love it. It's, it's Star Wars, it's Mandalorian, <laughs> but because it is Western themed, I was like, "Fuck yeah, Sheriff! It's high noon, like, or like that mag. It's almost Magnificent Seven. You know, Sheriff is trying to sort out, you know, run the baddie or the baddies out of town, and then it turns, you know, and then he needs the help of this person and the outlaw and la la la. And so, of course, loved that. Um, and there were lots of little Western tropes in there. Um, but it's just like they've found a really good formula that they've just stuck with. And, like, it's the simple, like, hero needs to get thing to somewhere or to return item to something. And every time he gets given a clue to the next step, he has to complete a mini adventure before he's, he's given that information or something gets in his way or, you know, and that's just such a simple formula and it works and they just build around that and they you know they're not trying to get all really involved or super like convoluted or try and put too much in there as well like there's episodes where it's very like I found that second episode extremely simple in terms of they went from here to here and some stuff happened in between but it was a fairly simple you know storyline um and kind of by the end of the episode I went not a lot happened. Like, there's a lot of action. Not a lot happened. The story didn't really move forward all that much. Um, you know, things that happened affect, you know, the ship and everything. But it was still super fun. And just there's little little mini adventures in every episode. Um, and again, yeah, awesome cast. Um, just uh, It just was comfortable just to sit back and just be like, yes, we're back. <laughs> yeah. um, and, of course, every time Baby Yoda does literally anything, um, <laughs> You're just like, yeah, so, no, I'm, yeah, awesome, loving it. Yeah, it's, it, it's, the, the essence of season one is what a lot of people talked about is just the, the pace and the time they took and they really brought in that, you know, Sergio Leone time and Western feel of sort of like, we'll just take our time with this, you know? Yeah. We'll have little things to do. We'll spend most of the time walking. Uh, and you know, we and just, just you know, just just lap up all that environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, whereas with this, it seems a lot more um, bang for your buck. Really, it's more like um, 
each 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 week is it, it's that classic Star Wars thing of you go to a planet and it's going to be a different environment and shit so goes that's down, some, yeah. <laughs> and sh- and shit goes down. So it's sort of like that was what Lucas wanted. Every single planet has its own color scheme. So yeah. we have that first that first it's all it's all Tatooine. So it's all that red. Uh, Love how often we go to Tatooine. Like yeah yeah yeah. It's like yeah. It's the it's For, the. Pa- Patty was saying for a frickin' a planet on the arse end of nowhere, you know, like the edge of the universe, like a lot of we stuff go there a lot. Yeah. yeah. So we had we had we had desert planet in the first one. We had ice planet in the second one. We had um, a storm uh, water planet in the third one. Just every single you know, you got a different location, and that's what you that's that's what Star Wars is. You know, you look at um, uh, any of the you know the classic films. You've got you start with reds, then you move to um, the greys of the Death Star, then you. End on um, the green of Yavin, or you start with Hoth, and then you move to the 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 greens and the greys of Dagobah, or the oranges of um, uh, Cloud City, and so on and so forth. And Jedi, you've got you know the the cold steel of Death Star Two. You've got Endor green. You've got Tatooine as well, and and they're doing that every episode. Um, a great balance of of humor and live action and. Uh, puppetry and uh, CGI, some incredible shots of just the the enormous size and scale of everything, and that ability to have standalone episodes like episode uh, ten with little little touches back to season one with references to the Prison Break episode. Um, then in you know obviously uh, episode nine and episode eleven bringing in you know characters from the expanded mythology or hinting at ooh, spoilers coming up um mythology and just how it blends in s- seamlessly like seamlessly it's this exciting thing of just how seamlessly they have slotted in just yeah it's know. hard to it's it's almost hard to believe that this i mean i don't know how long this show's been on the scope for but like it's hard to believe that when they were making clone wars that end game was this show like was it the <laughs> yeah. show like they hadn't they hadn't actually put this all like had a you know a plan for this to happen it just slots in so nicely whereas mm. on other sequels and things it doesn't so much yeah for me i have a i have a misguided faith in dave filoni and i say misguided but he has never he, he hasn't yeah but that's the thing he hasn't proved me wrong yet no. No. and especially because you look at no matter what you think of um, the new sequels, uh, the new sequel trilogy, there it is a mess. Yeah, mm. th- they they are not they are not connected in any way, shape, or form. There is no cohesion. There was no planning, and yeah. no one no one can convince me of that because we see it on screen. They are three separate movies that kind of try in some way, shape, or form not to tell a story, but just to like cut and paste or sticky tape on some type of cohesion and it doesn't work. Whereas and expanding a little too far. As too well. far, but also relying too heavily on narrative structures that have come before. Well, especially yeah. with seven and nine, yeah. eight was just allowed to go off wherever it wanted. And so that cr- created disunity within this type of feel. Um, whereas with this, they know exactly what they want to do. They know exactly how to homage parts mm. of Star Wars making it its own entity but still making it true to the and this is so this is the world that has they've just come out of Jedi this is the world that rebels is a part of this is the world that can connect back to clone wars and it feels that way yeah um, it doesn't feel like a stretch 
No, and no. it doesn't yeah. feel like there, there's never yeah. moments like a lot of moments in the prequels where I'm going. That's a stretch. Yeah. That's a stretch. Where's this coming from? Even in the even in the prequels, even in the prequels, I'm going. That's a stretch. There's What's a plot yeah. holes galore? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't. It doesn't feel like fan fiction either. Is the other no. thing like that's my main issue with the sequel trilogy now. Looking back on it, it's like it kind of just just feels like a bunch of fans writing a story that doesn't really come together yeah. in the end. Whereas like with this, it connects with especially everything. in episode nine. It's going fan service, fan service, fan service, fan service. With some of the predictions and the rumors about this season, there was there was that like, oh, how are they going to treat that mm. return of? Blah character who we yeah. who we see in the first episode um, briefly, and it's like the way that they treat those things that could absolutely be fan pandering is so well done. They give you enough, but not too much. But if they do give you more, it's done in such a way that it's just it doesn't feel like they're pandering. It just feels like that's the sto- they're telling the story of that character now, and that's really cool. We get to see them again. Um, you know, if they bring Lando back, it's going to be, I'm not going to love it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'll be like, okay, you know, we didn't need that. But the, you know, the character that we do see at the end of the first episode um, and then who we look like we're going to be seeing soon um, and even return of some, um, uh, it's not really a spoiler, but Mon Calamari, um, it's just, it's, it's just, you just kind of go, ah, oh, it's cool. Yeah. I'm wondering what they've been up to this whole time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, okay. So that's our general views. Let's go, let's go, let's do a deep dive into each one. So let's start with, um, uh, episode nine, the Marshall directed by John Favreau and written by John Favreau. This is our Western feel. Uh, we return to Tatooine, um, uh, and, um, the Mandalorian is in search of his kind, his kind. As we know from the end of season one, the the Mandalorians have sort of like dispersed and been sent off and tried to be really annihilated by the Empire. If you know back from your uh, Clone Wars and uh, Rebels era, um, Mandalore was uh, occupied and there's been multiple regime changes. There are a warlike species that have an honor code connected to war and the empire want to destroy that culture because they are the biggest threat to the empire. And as we know, that culture was decimated, which is such a shame. So the Mandalorian is on this search to find his people. Um, and he comes across um, this wasteland, Mon, uh, Mos, Mos uh, Pego, which is an abandoned uh, mining society, and he finds one of his own kind, but is it? Discuss. That was a great reveal. Um, <laughs> I thought that was... I had a moment of, oh, my God, it's him. Oh, oh but how? And then... Are we spoil? Are we doing full spoilers? Yeah, or no full spoilers. 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 <laughs> uh, yes. For those for those of you listening, we're going full spoilers right Pause now. Pause here and watch the episode. Um, you go rumor, rumor of Boba Fett. Rumor, rumor of Boba Fett coming back, and then boom, there he is, sitting at a table, and you're like, "Well, fuck!" They got into that quickly, only to discover that it is uh the quote unquote sheriff of the town who um bought. Boba Fett's armor off some Jawas after they put it out of the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> yes. And I thought that was so so good. And he takes off his helmet to reveal himself to be the ultimate modern cowboy, the beautiful oh. 
Timothy Oliphant. Oh, he's beautiful. Love, he, love him. He is so beautiful. He, Perfect. He was like born for this role. I mean, <laughs> confession, and I'm not proud of it. Never seen Deadwood. Uh-oh. Never seen Deadwood. Uh-oh. But I'm sure he's amazing in, in it. I am. I, um... I, I have Deadwood. I've had Deadwood sitting on my shelf for years, and I haven't watched it. I haven't seen Justified either. I have seen Die Hard Four, and I've also seen his appearance in The Office. But I, and I've seen him in Go as well, if you remember that movie. Yes, yes, so. I know him. Uh, I mean, he's in Scream too. He's funny in that, uh, but his character's not really great. But I love him in um, the Drew Barrymore Netflix show, uh, Santa Clarita Santa Diet. Santa Clarita, which yeah. is a great yeah. show. Love that show so much. It's a shame that it got cancelled, but he's amazing. He looks like a loose cannon sheriff. He looks like, <laughs> um, you know, you'd, yeah, he just he looks the part, and that's half the battle, right? Um, so, yeah, I thought as soon as we walked into this western town um, and they were chatting and then uh, basically your sandworm um, <laughs> comes through the town, I was like, is this, are they just riffing off the movie Rango, Crate Dragon? Yes. I'm like, is this the movie Rango? I thought that as well. Yeah, I was like, this is so, like, they, they're unashamedly, unashamedly just going, boom, western movie. Yep. But we're gonna make it Star Wars, and and there's a sand dragon, and they paid and the and they paid off because we've actually seen a skeleton of the yeah. crate dragon in and in our Star Wars, the original, yeah. when you know three PO and yeah. R two uh, crash land. There's the the big skeleton. That's a crate dragon, which I didn't realize. I never really wondered about what that was. I was like, <laughs> oh, it's a skeleton, whatever. But I never thought. I never looked into it. So it wasn't when I. When it happened, and I was like, "Whoa!" And Patty's like, "Yeah, remember the skeleton yeah. from New Hope?" And I was like, "Oh, there are oh my there God. are so many deep cuts in this that actually work." Like in the final episode of season one, there's a ship that arrives where the stormtroopers come out of. That's actually that's that's never been seen in the show before, in the in the movies before. But that was actually a toy that was specifically released back in the eighties, and so. <laughs> Favreau and Filoni went, yeah, you know what? We're going to put the toy that is a part of the Star Wars universe into it, and it works perfectly. I'm there going, that's what I love about this show. Those two are yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's a great, oh, great line. Just going, it's 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 slumbering in um in a sarlacc pits, and they're going, nothing survives in a sarlacc pit. Well, they no. can if they eat the sarlacc, and yeah. you go, oh, this is so oh. cool. Yeah, I, I think the Crate Dragons have been in like the expanded universe for a while, but they always look like actual dragons, which is why I never really liked them particularly. <laughs> there was a short story in a, for, from a certain point of view, which uh, tells the events of A New Hope, but from all of like the side characters' points of view. There's one yeah. uh, which is about a bunch of Tusken Raiders, um, I think hunting down the remains or like the nest of a crate dragon and that was a really good short story i haven't finished that book cool. but they did just put out one for empire as well i think they're kind of doing the 50th anniversary or something for each movie they'll put out this collection of short stories um and that's a cool. great one to check out but yeah just yeah i, I love that they were like the, the season opener what's the giant monster they're fighting crate dragon yep. biggest thing we've seen so far it was terrifying and then it ate <laughs> It was pretty sad when they, they, you know, baited it with a bantha and he was like, you know, you study them for long enough, you know what they eat. And the crate dragon's like, nah, I feel like eating a, um, a Tuscan Raider, which I actually read an interesting article and it's probably a bit much to get into now, but just worth thinking about is, um, there have been some reviews about how iffy it kind of was that the Tuscan Raiders essentially were representing Native Americans in your classic sort of cowboys versus 
in quote unquote Indian movies and how they were, I don't know, that everyone hated them and wanted to kill them until they were useful and helping them with it. It's a really interesting article if you look it up. Um, I can't remember who, who it was, but I was like, oh, interesting take. Um, and then, you know, the t- one of the Tuscan Raiders is eaten and it's kind of like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> But yeah. they are people. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, yeah. Um. I. I didn't see that at all. And because I. I'm not a fan of the sand people. They're a bit boring for me. But for this, I went. They're, they're really actually, interesting. They're not. Yeah. They're like and yeah. use the whole fact of they just seem as savages. And so, like in yeah. uh, episode two. Oh yeah. Anakin just wipes out all the children and the and the and the mothers and the and and that's uh, and 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 Padme goes. That's okay. I love you. Because what are the, you know, what are the Tuscan Raiders as far as we have actually physically seen? What did they ever do that was really bad? I mean, they attack Luke, obviously, in Avenue Hope, but I don't know. Just there's always like, oh, no, the Sand People, they were, oh, they're pretty bad, mm. but you never really see yeah. them do anything unprovoked. Well, we see, we see Shmi. We see Shmi. She's pretty beaten up and she's like being tortured true. and stuff. That's so that's true. That's true. Um, but then, you know, we torture people too. So exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's this case of. That pushing the whole prejudice towards them, but uh, for me they're just dull characters. But bringing in this whole language and communication oh, and this brought yes. a whole like culture, like just and yep. it was done beautifully. That connection of sound languages and sounds was amazing, yep. and so well yeah, um, and that whole mutual distrust in each other and the great line of sort of like. This pe- these people have survived in the dune sea for thousands of years. There's a yeah. reason for that. And so and they go, you know, they are harsh, but you know, they keep their word and that type of stuff is this case of um I could see how it could be interpreted that way. And as a, you know, white middle class man, I I I I will always step back and allow people more connected to that to a death. But I found it as quite respectful and actually made those characters more interesting and brought life to them and brought this culture. And mm. the respect that Mando had for them was us showing yeah. that, you know, not just a case of we needed them, but going, no, these people should be respected. And I found that the Sand People were were shown in a in a respectful way, which is weird and like how we should respect the indigenous people of of um of you know whatever country or planet you are on yeah mm. and i love so, that yeah. yeah that they used sign as well i believe they got uh actual sign coaches there as well to make sure that it was all um the proper language so yeah i just i love that that, that they included well, yeah that. he um the, the actor that played the main tuscan raider who was at the campfire is a deaf actor oh fantastic okay so yeah which is fucking finally you know um instead of Instead of hiring a hearing actor and teaching them or, you know, trying to get them to learn sign language, actually maybe hire someone who that who is deaf. Um, I just found the article, if anyone does want to read it, um, it's from Inverse and the, the uh, title is The Mandalorian Season 2 Commits a Classic Sin of Hollywood Westerns. Interesting to read whether you agree with it or not, um, but it is, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting read, another little sort of look at... Um, at how we treat those kind of um, characters in indigenous cultures. In yeah. I did uh, also, I didn't notice at the time, but Patty again points, cause he, you know, obsessed with Star Wars. He pointed us out that Cobb Vanth, uh, Timothy Oliphant's character looks to be riding a tricked out pod, ra- Anakin's pod racer. Yeah. 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 I was like, what? Just little, like they don't mention it. That's it. You just see it. And that, you know, and it's for you to pick up or not basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, he is so cool and so so attractive. His hair 
barely moves and he doesn't have to worry about Tatooine flies or anything getting into his eyes or mouth. He's just, he's going along at like 100k an hour or something like that. And you just go, no, no flies on him, literally. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, just and the little moment where I think they're having a little bit of a drag race in that scene. Like they sort of, you know, it's just those little moments that you go, this show is really, it knows it's, it knows what it's doing. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's got a good, a good humor. So yeah, I had a really fun time. One last very, very specific piece of trivia is that if you pay attention to the crate dragon actually appearing, you can hear the sound that Obi Wan Kenobi makes to make the Tusken Raiders <laughs> yes! run away. Yes, I read that. It was just great. Yeah, that, that's why the Tuscans run away because they're afraid not just of a man flailing his arms around in a robe, but. Obi-Wan is replicating the sound of the crate dragons and yeah. that's why they did read that that they've made that theory um canon basically now. Yeah, like, like it's that's what he was doing. It's so interesting because it's basically a retcon, but it doesn't feel like a comic book retcon where it's like, oh, <laughs> Captain America was with, with Hydra this whole time. Oh no, what are you gonna do? It's a twist to sell one book. Like it doesn't <laughs> yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. that. It genuinely makes sense in the universe which is what makes this show so amazing compared to everything else it's like they retcon everything but it works yeah but they don't ram it down your throat so it's not like i didn't notice that until i read after it's such a deep cut it is such a deep cut that it does not affect you know the telling of it yeah and that's the beauty of it when anyone could watch this show not having seen say not having seen star wars but you probably won't have wanted seen it but not knowing all about every you know part of star wars and still, and still, it wouldn't bother them if they missed that, or if they missed that he was on Anakin's pod racer. If you don't like, it's it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect your enjoyment of the story. Um, and so those retcons are great for that. Yeah, exactly. It's not like in Episode Nine at the end when Maz turns to Chewbacca and go, "This is for you," and going, "Really, Ugh. really? You're giving? Yeah, you're going to give him the medal. That's what you're going to do. You're going to you don't. Waste- the harder you try for a Oh, the more likely you're just going to get a, oh. Yeah. But if you just go, yeah, <laughs> whereas these little, like, throwbacks, you kind of go, oh, that's awesome. Um, And, you like, you know me. I love IMDb trivia. So my fucking <laughs> favourite thing to do after any TV show just about, but mainly these kind of things, is to then go in and read about all the little references and go, you know, when the, when um, uh, Favreau and Filoni were talking about the use of the esky, as um the what he carries his um the steel in in the I think it's the very first episode, oh, the second yeah. episode. It's this like random fan thing that this people dress up and go to Comic Con and they're all in the same outfit carrying this little esky that they that was in one of the original movies. Um and they heard about this big fan following of this particular character carrying this esky and they found the prop and they repurposed it to use in in the Mandalorian <laughs> and you wouldn't I wouldn't know that until someone told me but now I know it yeah it's just so good like it it shows that it's being made by people that love it I think that Filoni really is on the same level as like a Kevin Feige like he knows how to tell a good story but also how to just craft a world but he's a, he's the right level of fan like you wouldn't I wouldn't trust like a Boba Fett super fan to write you know like a TV show about Star Wars but he's a <laughs> He's a fan enough that he he loves it so much that, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, like, he doesn't have an agenda. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, yeah, because he was hired just to, like, he he's 
run two shows. He's direct. He's been showrunner of Clone Wars and of Rebels. So it's not like he's just a fan coming in going, no, oh, let's let's write about you know Boba Fett getting together with Amaral Akbar. This is going to be awesome. Well, yeah, um, yeah. It, yeah, and he's he's had his toes. Yeah, uh, Sandra's going to go off and write that fan slash fiction <laughs> sounds, at some point. Sounds great. He's he's had that time to really develop the characters, develop the lore, and be a part of it. So him now, and he and I like how he's still like taking his time to like Favreau's taken the lead of directing and writing, and Filoni, as he said in you know gallery when or gal- gallery when you watch those, he's there going, mm. I'm used to directing animation. I'm not used to directing actors and stuff like that. So he's learning how to. Ad- adapt his director directing style to you know real life people and props and all that type of stuff yeah. so it's a great way of him to transition uh into more of an active part which i hope he has more of because you know feloni and and favreau are the future of top quality star wars in definitely. my opinion yeah definitely um, um and we haven't even finished off with the final spoiler no. of the whole thing so the um so Cobb Vance has Boba Fett's armor and there's the big reveal when you know as the Mandalorian is says Mando has said the whole time Mandalorians do not take off their helmets at mm-hmm. all you know this is the way and so we know that he's not a real Mandalorian when Cobb takes off his helmet um and so <laughs> there's a bargain struck that you know if if Mando helps uh the town get rid of the crate dragon Cobb will hand over the armor and there's a mutual respect built in by the end of it and they work together and a part of me was there going maybe Mando's gonna go you know what you've earned this you can keep it and at the end he goes no I'm fucking taking this Um, and as Mando drives off into the sunset much like a horseman riding on the double sunset (laughs) we we see a figure watching with envious eyes oh it's Tamara Morrison (laughs) We turn around and it's Jake DeMoss from Once Were Warriors with a bald head all scarred up with a band gaffy stick and a, a, and one of the Tuscan Raiders guns. And there it is. Boba Fett has returned. He is there. I mean, we all knew it. Like, Boba no, Fett. No. Yeah, yeah. 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 None of the none, none of the good characters, you know, they get cheap deaths in the movies, but they always come back. I kind of hope that's all we see of him, though. That's all you want? That's all you want this that's season? That's all I want. Like, you just see him and you're like, he's just living it up on Tatooine. He doesn't want to be. Mm. He looks, I don't know, maybe I need to rewatch the scene, but maybe he's doing the, like, it's back in good hands. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, that's the other thing, though, is that Django and Boba Fett probably aren't Mandalorians either. They just kind of got the armor because it's a totally. different sort of metal or something. I don't know. All the fans, all the Uber fans have been talking about that all week. Um, so I've picked up a little bit. Oh, of that it. it's not Beskar Steel. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that's it. So, yeah. Mm. I don't know. Like, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, we don't really need Boba Fett. But then on the other hand, I'm like, but it's Tamura Morrison and it'll be great to see him do more stuff. True. Because <laughs> he's great. But I don't know. I don't know. They'll have to go back to Tatooine again then. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, I more want to see Tamora Morrison playing Rex. Yes. Well, that's the other thing that people have been talking about is, yeah, that might happen. We don't know. We don't know, but that would be awesome. Uh, for those who don't know, we'll talk about it once we get to Ep 3. Yes. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So, um, two thumbs up for uh, the Marshal. I mean, two thumbs up for all of them, but yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. Okay. So, Chapter 10, The Passenger. So, we return back to um, uh, to Moss Eisley. Um, uh, 
Amy, uh, is it Amy Sedaris? Yes. Yeah, Amy Sedaris' yes. character. Um, uh, returns, which a lot of people were criticizing her. I'm, I'm, I was fine with her. A lot of people saying she was a bit over the top or not as good in this episode. She wasn't as good as when we first met her, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, there's something, I don't know exactly what it is, but she f- fit in so well when we first saw her. And then in this season, it feels like she's the only one that seems to be doing more of the same to please fans. I don't know exactly what it is, but I just, yeah, I'm not a... And I'm a big fan of Amy Sedaris in general. Like, she's incredible in pretty much everything I've seen her in. But, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I'm not really liking her this season. I don't know why. I didn't realise until Sandro said it. And then I went, she felt, I didn't even realise it was the same character for a moment. I knew, obviously, because she, it, and I was like, oh, yeah. But, because when we first meet her, she's got this, like, hardened kind of thing. And she softens when she's left to look after um, yeah. baby Yoda. And so when she arrives this time, I think she's, I wonder, it felt a bit over the top, over the top's kind of a way, I don't know, like, Mm. I didn't realise I felt funny about it until Sandra mentioned something and I was like, oh, you know what, I did feel like, I don't know if it was bad acting or bad script or, I don't know, it was a bit weird, I don't know what it is, I can't put my finger on it, but. Okay, so The Passenger, directed by Peyton Reed, who of of course uh, people would know directed, um, uh, Bring It On, uh, Down With Love, uh, The uh, Yes Man, and of course, both Ant-Man films. Um, I'm a bit of a fan of Peyton Reed. I've liked him for quite some time. Bring It On was a, a fa- yeah, it was a favourite of mine in the 20s, in my 20s. Um, this episode is batshit fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. This is so fucking weird. <laughs> this is ridiculous. There's a lot going on. You, you said it perfectly. There is a lot going on here. So basically, Amy Sedaris' character but then reveals at the end of the that episode. You're like, "What just happened?" Like, yeah, really exactly. And it doesn't even have a satisfying ending. So they're going, "That's it. We don't get a what the fuck happened? What have I just watched?" And is it relevant to anything else that's happening? <laughs> Not really. Yeah, it's a little. Yeah. Not really. That's the yeah. A little side story. Yeah. So Mando comes back and is told by Amy Sedaris' character that. Um, uh, there is a certain person who can give him information about where his people are if you take this person to Trask. However, this person is carrying precious cargo and you can't go at light speed. You've got to go at sub light speed. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, uh, and of course, this passenger is a frog lady. Frog. <laughs> she is a frog. She is a frog. There is now an alien race in Star Wars called Frog. Called Frog. Yeah. <laughs> frog. And she is called in the credits Frog Lady. She is credited as Frog Lady. Yep, she is a frog lady. She has her spawn in a container and she is a frog. She rips. She rips. And Baby Yoda is over here trying to eat her kids. And I'm like, what are you doing, Baby Yoda? Oh my god. Oh my god. Baby Yoda has a bit of a. Yeah, more of a passenger in the first. We don't see much of Baby Yoda in. uh, in the Marshall, Baby Yoda's yeah. kind of just there watching everything. Well, this one, but and because you know the internet is the internet and people are people. Everyone's going, "Oh, where's Baby Yoda? Where's Baby Yoda?" And then the second episode comes, and Baby Yoda's there all the time. <laughs> but what's Baby Yoda doing? Eating the fucking eggs. Oh, he's just slurping them down. Now I, now Jen and I had a little bit of talk about this before Sandra had seen it. Yes, I, I always think the best of Baby Yoda. 
Yeah. You know, and so I'm there going, maybe Bobby Yoda's trying to like protect them and keep them put them in his belly so they can go to light speed. Yeah, exactly. And to trying to just keep them safe. Okay. And then I'm And they there... probably expected people to think that and they're like, no 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 no. <laughs> I think it was after the third or fourth one that Baby Yoda ate that I just went, No, he's just fucking eating them. <laughs> and then later on when he eats a freaking a fetus of another <laughs> creature, you're like, Are you just are you fucking kidding me? Like <laughs> No wonder Yoda loved Dagobah so much. Baby Yoda is used quite a lot. And Baby Yoda does a lot more movement than we have seen the puppet do. It moves a lot faster than we've seen it before. It's a lot more animated and mobile. How it uses its hands to... like The puppetry is exquisite. Mm. And how they balance puppetry with uh, CGI is flawless now. Um, They did not get that right in the prequels. They've got it right here. Um, Yeah. And just how much movement Baby Yoda has now—it's—it's it's freeing it up. Like how seeing Baby Yoda actually have a bit of a a, a trot, like the fifty-year-old Yoda baby trotting along at quite some speed. I'm going, that's impressive. It is, yeah, it's um, very good. Yeah, like he's especially. Um, we both watched Gremlins Two, the new batch, this week for something that's coming <laughs> up, and there are so many similarities between Baby Yoda and Gizmo. And- so many. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, the, the way that like it moves uh yeah like it 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 looks fantastic it yeah really does. so on their way in serb light speed they are um confronted by two uh, new republic x-wing pilots one being dave filoni F- filoni returns as his character from the prison break episode he talks about how like uh how awkward he finds the whole um at least he had some more lines this time but um just he said it's the most awkward experience doing those scenes but good on him getting in there like that's why why not you know he's great yeah exactly yeah um and and um uh the other actor is uh from uh kim's convenience um which is a you know high rating uh canadian comedy show uh he is a huge star wars fan i can't remember his name i'm sure you have it somewhere with you uh paul sun human yes yeah uh, um a friend of mine andy uh andy plung who is in uh Kim's Convenience wrote a beautiful post on Instagram about going, we're both nerds. We've hosted conventions. Um, we work on Kim's Convenience together. And when we go to conventions, he, you know, Andy just goes in like a nerdy t-shirt and jeans. But, you know, uh, his friend goes the full whole hog. And said, so when he got to play a pilot in Mandalorian is literally his dream come true. Uh, he, and he did so well. They did so well. Yeah. And he, he helped Filoni along go, go, all right, I'll take care of this. I'll take yeah. the heavy yeah, yeah, acting yeah. work here. I'm surprised there's not more celebrities just going, can I just have a little bit part in this? I mean, there have been plenty. Yeah. Um, well, we haven't we haven't talked about John Leguizamo, who appears a little bit as the as the Cyclops oh, in yes. the, at the start of of um, of uh, the Marshal, and is killed quite quickly. That's and it's right. and the previous episodes as well is kind of filled with like almost you know comedy slash Saturday Night Live alumni yeah. um, that are kind of filtering in the supporting roles, like Bill Bill Burr. Bill Burr was in like yes. the who hates Star Wars. He was still in it though. Who hates Star Wars? And he did really well, though. But he hates everything. He's the classic American stand-up going, eh, fuck you, I hate everything. And people go, oh, you're so endearing. Um, no, he's just an asshole. He, he, he kind of is, but it was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great episode. Um, so uh, the, the the New Republic uh, X-Wing fighters sort of like lead him down into uh, under the ice planet where he has to hide, where the uh, Razor Crest crashes. And 
everything hits the fan. For some reason, Frog Lady goes and finds a heat pool and swims in there, while Baby Yoda goes off and starts finding eggs and starts eating them. It's literally xenomorph eggs. Yes. Yeah. It eats the fetus, then they all come to life. And they go on its head. And it's something out of... Yeah. And it's, oh, it's something out of Chamber of Secrets. It really is. Um, the, I hate any time Baby Yoda is in peril, whether he's got a tiny spider suck, trying to suck his face off, or even when he just gets, like, tumbles out of his, like, if he tumbles out of his little carrier or he just falls over. The noise that they make, it's just so, so upsetting. <laughs> and oh, he's just like, yeah. ah, the little spider's <laughs> on his head. I'm like, get it he's, off him. He's trying to shake it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, and so the batshit, the scary goes to batshit crazy when um, obviously Frog Lady is in the pool, so they've got to gather up all the eggs. Which are floating uh, willy-nilly about the place. And it's like getting grapes out of a freaking bowl of water. Yeah. <sighs> Baby Yoda is terrified and then saved and then goes, oh, I want to eat some more eggs. And then they have to run as the bigger and bigger spiders start showing up. And then you see Frog Lady running, but then hopping. Then she's, she's, she's actually a frog. She's actually a frog. So she starts like hopping, bounding. And then you get a, the big grown-up queen fucking spider come through um, uh, attacking the ship. And this is another thing, a deep cut Star Wars. If you go back to original Ralph Macquarie concept design artworks for Empire Strikes Back yep. on Hoff, yep. there were ice spider, there were you know, snow spiders, mm. um, but they went for wampers instead. So here they are again because they've, you know, as with the closing credits are all inspired by Ralph Macquarie-esque uh, concept art, um, brought them back and they were horrifying, horrifying. Yeah. yeah. But then like the comedy of the episode, because it's so interesting because it's such a funny episode, such a joke heavy episode until Baby Yoda eats the spider fetus and then it's horrifying for like five minutes and then it's hilarious again and then it ends (laughs) like it's such an like yeah like peyton reed i like him i'm a big fan ant-man movies pretty good this episode proved to me that he needs to do a fantastic four movie yes he needs to do a movie where he can just go crazy do whatever he wants like whether it be comedy or like horror-esque creatures chasing after people down a tunnel like he needs just to have that freedom action as well he does the action brilliantly so he can do that action horror comedy and blend it in this weird way it'd be perfect for fantastic four what a great choice it is yeah um (laughs) and yeah he, he did an amazing episode this episode is nuts and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got, I was like, we got to the, like you said, got to the end. I was like, wasn't like, is that it? It wasn't a boring episode at, by any means, but it was just a little like, you know, we're off. It was kind of like, uh, Rob's going to kill me. It was kind of like the casino planet in uh, <laughs> this in um, Last Jedi, but well, like it was a side, it was a little side thing because, you know, you know, can't go at light speed. What could possibly happen if you're not going light speed? Of course they're going to land on a planet and then there's going to be an attack of a creature and then only to be saved, sort of semi-saved by the same people that were chasing you at the start. Um, it's just a not, It's just a cool little, like, here's a really cool planet. Let's check it out for an episode. Oh, look, I thought it was very cool. And I, I prefer ice spiders to 
whatever the hell Casino Planet yeah, was. Yeah, look, I love Last Jedi, but that scene is just just still <laughs> still astounds me. That just was, for me, was just like, let's give them something to do, let's just create this planet. We also had a weird scene earlier on with, uh, like in the middle of it, where a frog lady wants to be able to speak, but can't speak because her frog <laughs> language doesn't communicate. So she hooks up with the remains of Q9O from, I think, from a previous episode. So we heard Richard Adewan again, Awadi again. Um, that was batshit crazy. I still kind of went, okay, well then why did Amy Sedaris need to translate from, let's uh, say English for argument's sake, from Mando speaking English into frog so the frog lady knew what he was saying but then when she was talking to him and the, the drone was translating it, drone, yep. um, the droid was translating it, he spoke back, but the droid didn't translate what he was saying she understood. So I was like, so did Amy, Amy Sedaris didn't need to translate at all. <laughs> she didn't need to speak frog, but it sounded cool. So maybe that's why they did it. But yeah, I was like, so she has been able to understand him this whole time. <laughs> um, okay. She's, she, she understands English. She doesn't speak. It was very much a case, the whole episode was sort of like, you know, it's that classic Three Stooges thing or, or Laurel and Hardy thing where Amanda is the straight guy and and the other two are just doing whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> yeah, and, and you just go, and there's, you, wanted, you wanted to have a moment where Mando literally looks to the screen and goes, it's a living or something like <laughs> yeah, that yeah. going, yeah, what yeah. are you going to do? What so, are you gonna yeah. do? Oh, and there was another moment as well. Uh, of course, the first ever episode of Mandalorian, first ever Star Wars toilet. I believed in this episode they actually named it. So there we go. We now got a name for Star Wars toilets. What was it called again? It was like some old fashioned. They called it like something like very much like from you know, very much like the dialogue from the original Star Wars. Was it like the Constitutional or something like something that? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say the water, the water house, or something. It was he uh, mentioned it, and they're going, yeah, that's very old school. That's like nine. That's like you know, turn of century type yeah. of description of it. Yeah. Uh, leave leave a comment. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, do. So we get to the end, and they're they've they've escaped. They're barely alive. The Razor Crest is pretty much fallen apart, but they're just floating towards Trask, and that's the end of the episode. Yeah, love and, it. And that leads us to. Episode 3, or uh, Chapter 11, The Heiress. Directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who did an amazing job directing give, this. Give her a movie. Just give her give a her movie. Give her a movie. <laughs> She's yeah. great. I've been reading up on her. I've been reading up about, like, I've known Bryce Dallas Howard for, for years, yeah. you know, from, from from the highs of of doing, you know, Jurassic World to the lows of doing two M. Night Shyamalan films. Um you know, um, and doing uh, two Twilight films, one Twilight film. Um, she had a great Black Mirror episode, though. Yes. Really great Black Mirror episode. She, of course, is the daughter of Ron Howard. Um, mm. uh, and um, talking about the fact that she has been around a film set pretty much since she was born. She said she remembers having a dinner when she was about four or five at a dinner party with George Lucas, yeah. Ron Howard and Kira Sauer. Um, you know, she was on the set of, of Willow. She fell asleep in her dad's lap and just yeah. listening to George Lucas talking. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. And there, there are, there are literally shots in this episode that, um, mimicking, copying, uh, 
um, Apollo 13. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, so cool. And, 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 and Eagle Eye fans have spotted it and put it on Twitter and she's responded going, well spotted. Didn't know yeah, if anyone would pick that up. That was <laughs> totally a homage to my dad. And you go, of course it was. And, you know, she was on, she was on the set of uh, Solo. She went and visited the Solo set. So, you know, she, and... I really liked her episode of um, uh, season one. Episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah very, very yeah. Seven Samurai as well, and how she balanced out the the Western themes, bringing in, uh, introducing the new character uh, Cara Dune, and also the night fight sequences, and how she captured the essence of you know yeah. that est, uh, the Scout Walker yeah. coming out of the darkness. Very great stuff, and this is yeah. excels again. A different type of action. This is very high action with the use of lots of choreography and big set pieces and stuff. So um, the ship arrives on Trask, barely makes it. Razor Crest barely <laughs> makes it. Um, it makes it and then it absolutely doesn't make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, woohoo, it landed. Oh, it's in the water. That is such a John Favreau joke as well. That is such a John Favreau. So not only do we have Frog Lady has has returned with no more babies eaten, but we get to meet as far as we know. Frog Man. Frog Man. That's right. Frog Daddy. Oh. Frog Man. Who? Frog Daddy. Hmm. But is actually credited as yes, Frog Man. Yeah. This is why I love. Um, and the Mon Calamari has like a very different voice. I'm going, that's weird because like most of the Mon Calamari we hear is like from Return of the Jedi. It's a trap. And, but then we go into the bar and there's a Mon Calamari there and he sounds like Admiral Akbar. I went, oh, okay. Whew, whew, there we go. Okay. I they think can the have... guy on the docks is just fed up. Yeah. He's got no enthusiasm at all in his voice. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so Mandalorian is following the lead to find his own people, the Mandalorians. Uh, he's taken out on a ship. He is betrayed and he is saved upsetting scene oh my god how <laughs> horrifying was that scene mm. i was like if you think i get upset with a tiny spider trying to attack baby yoda's head imagine what happened when they kicked him into whatever the hell that was in the water oh, yeah. um and he got eaten <laughs> oh they're going close the lid close the lid close the lid close the fucking lid baby yoda do the hand thing <laughs> um how did you cope with the with the um with the soup with the creature inside it jumping on his face? It was funny. It was funny. Um it was a cute it was a cute moment. Um, yeah, that was fun. So Mando is saved by three of his own kind and this is where the internet exploded. Yes, because Sasha mm. Banks, WWE fighter Sasha Banks is playing Cosca Reed. Yes, that's what we've all been waiting for. <laughs> yes. Um I I'll I'll hand it over to you guys. How do you guys cope with different levels of understanding of Star Wars universe? How did you cope with this moment? I had no idea who they were until like afterwards when I looked it up. <laughs> when they when she mentions another name at the end of the episode, I kind of I I recognized that name. Um and kind of looked it up and then went, oh, okay, they're connected. Yeah. Um, this is who this is because of her headband. That's how you know and her name, obviously. Um, I just was like, there's three Mandalorians who take their armor off. I don't know any, because I haven't seen Clone Wars at all. Um, I don't know any of that. All I know about the Mandalorian, um, the, the planet and their, and their people and the invasion of their planet, I know from little things that I've read, um, other things, and this show. Yeah. Um, yeah. but not from Clone Wars or Rebels. I don't, I don't know any of that. So yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty new thing for me. So these characters are brand new to me. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cause like for me, I'll, I'll, sorry for cutting off no, no, Sandro. No. It was like, because 
I've watched Clone Wars and I've watched Rebels. I've, and and the Mandalorians are, are uh, they have quite a lot of episodes in Clone Wars, but there's a heavy focus of them in Rebels, especially. And it's always been in the back of my head during Clone Wars season one, uh, during Mandalorian season one. But I've, I've just sort of like just just shut up and watch it and enjoy it because well, it hasn't really affected it so much. Yeah, mm. because like in all of season one, the Mandalorian's going, "You do not remove your helmet." There's a whole yeah. episode in the Bryce Dallas Howard episode where he goes, yeah. "I can't take it off. I, you know, if I eat, I do it. You know, I only take it off when no one's watching." And I just, in the back of my head going, "But you've seen those Mandalorians with their helmets <laughs> off," and I've gone, "Shut up, just watch it. This is really cool." Okay, yeah, this is the way. Awesome, and so to actually address that in this episode yes. was amazing. Yeah. So I was yeah literally going, oh, there are as far as they're concerned, he's a real like a zealot yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. and they're the kind of like, and I was like, I don't know any of this, so it was kind of cool. I knew certain names were important, and I knew recognized them just from the you know the culture and the and everything around the Clone Wars. So I knew they were important to the story, but it didn't bother me that I didn't know who they were. Um, now that I do, it's kind of cool, but um. Yeah, I didn't. I, as someone coming to it and learning these people, these characters for the first time, it, I wasn't affected by not knowing. Mm. So it goes to show the storytelling's still really good. They're not, they're not, you know, resting or like leaning on that, the, hoping that everyone's going to know yeah. who they are. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's the amazing thing about it is that in season one, it's such an, it's so ingrained in the show. He's not removing his helmet. So at the end of 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 season one, when um, IG eighty eight takes off his helmet because because you know I'm a I'm a droid I'm I'm not alive so you see his yeah. face it's this powerful moment and it's all about you know you never take your mask off and then in the uh, the marshal when when Timothy Oliphant takes off his helmet and and he just goes you're not Mandalorian I'm yeah. Yeah, I'm going to kill you for this it's a huge and so then when it gets to this point when all three of them yeah, take yeah. it off and he just goes you're you're not Mandalorian, and she just sighs and goes, "No, this has been in my family three generations. I am Mandalorian." Yeah. And they just go, "He's," he, yeah. yeah. And they turn to him and goes, "He's he's a fucking cultist." And then for me, everything just slipped away and goes, "Oh, he's just a man who won't take his helmet off." And this is, oh, this is weird now. <laughs> he's yeah. holding on to something that, yeah. It went yeah. from being cool, and in one second with. Katie Sackhoff just saying, oh, he's, he's, a, he's a nut. He's a religious nut. I've just gone, oh, he's... But then I didn't feel any different. I don't know, maybe because I don't know who these people are and how important they are mm. and who'd believe, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But for me, it, it, it made me love Mandalorian even more. Just uh, Mando more because he's just so no, I'm staying to this. And of course he's a religious zealot because he's... Yeah, and all that stuff now from season one is just... You know, just they're going. Oh, of course, it, it's this honor code, but it's so, yeah. it's Old so school. extreme, yeah, it's and good. it's, yeah, it's, it's good. so, yeah, and so yeah, because I'm there going. Of course, I've watched Clone Wars. I've <laughs> I watched knew it. this, Rob. I knew this. Yeah, there's um, a there's a character in in Rebels. There's Sadine who's there the whole time, and she puts her helmet on and off whenever she wants. She's an <laughs> artist. She paints on her helmet. She's awesome. So, How about you, um, Sandro? How did yeah, you so I'll cut you off, Sandro. Talk, please. Uh, for some reason, I knew that Katie Sackhoff was in this episode and I knew that she was playing the character that she voices in Clone Wars and Rebels. But for some reason, I thought it was Duchess Satine uh, who was more prominent in Clone Wars. She kind of had a little bit of a thing with Obi-Wan. For some reason, I thought that it was going to be her <laughs> that was showing up. Based on the name of the episode, do you think? Yeah, yeah, because I've, yeah, she is the Duchess of Mandalore. I completely forgot that that character is uh, 
spoilers, but not really because of mm. Katie Sackhoff. She's not really around anymore because of that. It, yeah, like it makes complete sense because uh, Katie Sackhoff, of course, plays the more uh, conservative, um, uh, in line for the throne person of Mandalore, who we saw a lot more of in uh, in Rebels, who is the leader of Mandalore in Rebels, I believe. Um, yes. Or at least of the majority of it that's not blown up in space or something, because that planet's like half destroyed at this point. So yeah, uh, it she's great, and it's great to see her character again. And it also makes complete sense as well, n- not necessarily knowing what has happened with her during the original trilogy, I still could completely get where she's coming from when she's talking about, I need to get this particular item uh, that Moff Gideon has, because, you know, it's been in my family for years, despite not seeing her for probably five six years in canon time, like, just everything makes sense. It's just gone back to, 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 yeah, like, what we know from Rebels. It was very well written. Yeah, for me, it was just like, okay, this Darksaber is important. I don't know how important it is because I haven't watched the other shows, <laughs> but I understand that it's important and I'm looking forward to, to learning more about it. And I'm almost deliberately not look, re- uh, reading about it. Um, so anytime I see that's like, blah 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 and Mandalorian how it's connected to Clone Wars I'm like no nah, I'm gonna find I'm just gonna find out and then I'll go back and watch Clone Wars eventually but I'm enjoying the learning um considering I'm normally the one who's going in knowing all the stuff when it comes to certain Star Wars things this time I'm not and it's it's cool um yeah uh Katie Sackhoff was incredible I mean it's been ages since I've watched um, her in Battlestar, which she's incredible as Starbuck. And what I've only seen her in recently has been her hamming it up like a motherfucker in um, uh, The Flash. She plays one of the villains in The Flash where she puts on a puts on a hardcore British accent and she is so over the top. Like even Jim Carrey would look at how over the top she is and go, mm, just bring it down a tone. Um, so to see her in this where she is so subtle and so dignified and so charismatic and so strong and just that perfect transition from the character she plays as a voice to embodying that character is just fantastic. Um, Yeah, just wonderful. And there's been a couple of characters who have gone from, you know, we've had Saw Gerrera first seen in animation move into um, live action. And I think a couple of others I'm trying to... Technically IG-88, which was Taika Waititi in season one, but also... That was a droid. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is one of the, the first big prominent characters from animation now making it in. And it's just slipped in perfectly now. It's just, I like how it's just seamless. We can go from live action animation and it's all, it's all Star Wars and that's the, the skill of them. Um, uh, and the great moments, there's great moments that, that, that tension between, um, Bo-Katan and Mandalorian and how he's strict and rigid with the ways that he does things. And that great moment where he goes, but you, on- I was only here for this and now you're changing the rules. And she goes, this yeah. is the way. And she just, yeah, as passing off, offhanded comment, this is the way. And yeah. you go, oh my God. Oh, burn. I almost, when she, he said, but you're changing it, I always was like, pray I do not change it again. <laughs> I was like, come on. I didn't even give us that line. 
<laughs> You've altered the deal. Pray I don't alter it again. Yeah, any further, yeah. <laughs> but um, this is the way it was a bigger burn. It was a bigger burn, but then for her at the end to say it with the actual respect that that phrase is, I went, oh, I just, I, I, yeah, I, I, te- I teared up. I don't know why that phrase is, is, is punching with me so hard at the moment, but that as a, as a phrase for, for everything, it just really hit me hard. And especially when she said it after doing it so flippantly to go, no, I've got respect for this and you can have respect for us as well. So, and for her yeah. to have that journey in a however many minute episode, um, yeah. like that's amazing in terms of performance, in terms of character, in terms of writing, it's just, and direction. It's just like, yeah. Um, yeah, it was so cool. Okay, now, how did it work for you guys with after the previous episode where Baby Yoda is <laughs> eating so many of the eggs to then flip it around? Did you think it was justified that Baby Yoda's now gone, oh, oh, now it's alive? Yeah, I'll play with the fucking little tadpole in the water. I thought he was just playing with this food. Was he playing? Because <laughs> then Mando comes in, he's like, we've talked about this. Like... <laughs> Because then at the very end, he eats that tentacle thing that's coming off. Another thing tries to bloody well attack him. Oh, my God. Just He obviously doesn't have, he has a, doesn't have an endless supply of the hand thing because uh, <laughs> <laughs> the hand. a lot of shit attacks him, you know. I think he just has to use it when he absolutely has to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think he likes seafood. <laughs> I get the thing with Baby Yoda is, is Baby Yoda smart for his age or is Baby Yoda just a baby? Like how old, like there's so much discussion of how old he actually is and how their their species like that what's their development like like yeah cuz cuz for us to yeah. go oh he's putting the eggs in his belly to save them to go to light speed but he just can't express that to Mando it's like well then he's super smart he just doesn't know how to speak yet but then you're like but he's doing dumb stuff too <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, these are, these are the questions we. It, we it creates some really great moments, but I think it just likes yeah, it seafood and, and eggs, and like caviar. For me, it was just a beautiful shot. You had Frog Lady, you had Frog Man, you had Tadpole in the water, and you had Baby Yoda playing it with both hands, going bah, 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 splashing water. And I went, "There are no humans in this scene." And then no. with Mandalorian coming in, there we don't. There are no recognizable barely human. human yeah. yeah, and it's just it was beautifully done. Yeah. Um, but yes, the big the big reveal, big reveal at the end of this episode was Bo Katan finally revealed where the Jedi were because, you know, I love that loved the mystique of the Jedi back because I'm there going, you know, do you know anything? Have you seen a Jedi? And Mando goes, No. Go, of course you have, it's Luke Skywalker. Oh no, that's there's only no but only only the small pocket of rebels have seen Luke do his stuff and there's he's the only Jedi, so still is yeah. a bit of a a, a legend. Yeah, legend. So that would have been, what, uh, 20, 25 years ago. So it's like mm. you know, half, you know, a quarter of a century ago. Um, but uh, so I like the whole mythology of sort of like, you know, the the wizards and, you know, the people of magic and all that type of stuff is quite cool. But Bo-Katan, after, you know, the deal has been altered, uh, finally reveals of what planet to go to and who you will find there. And Bo-Katan said... Oh, those two words, Ahsoka Tano. <gasps> and I went, that sounds familiar. Let me look it up. <laughs> oh, that's Rosario Dawson's character, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the hint has been dropped that the character that was introduced in the Clone Wars animated series um, and was most brought beloved. back... Most beloved. Most beloved. And has gone oh, yes. through such an arc and became prominent lead character uh, in her own right. She kind of just trailed around Anakin, but then in the later seasons goes on out on her own. Um, and then becomes... Uh, a character in her own right in Clone Wars, a much more mature version, closer to um, uh, New Hope era. Um, and, and we've all been asking for it for years, haven't we, Sandro? Us, you know, we're, we, yeah, Clone Wars fans have been going, you know, she's got to be made live action. And everyone's been saying for years, Rosario Dawson. It's been around for, yeah, like everyone's been saying that. And so again, like, you know, like you're talking about the, the you know, the Esky that appeared and there's a whole cult of fans around the Esky that go, well, let's bring that in. This is the first time where they've listened to the fans and go, yeah, you know what? Yeah, let's bring in, let's bring in the character, the actor that everybody wants. And Rosario's amazing and incredible. I still can't believe that Rosario Dawson hasn't won an Oscar uh, or at least nominated for an Oscar. She is an incredible actress. So... Um, so yeah, how, do, how, do, how are you with that, Sandro? Oh, I am. I'm so, so excited. I mean, it's probably not going to be next week or the episode that's going out later t- today where that happens. I, I've got a feeling it might be episode five because Filoni is, uh, writing and directing that one and it would be nice for him to direct a oh, character that nice. he's kind of... Yeah, I think that's it. I think that will be the episode. I don't think anybody else could handle, or I don't think Filoni would let anybody else handle mm-hmm. Ahsoka's first live action appearance it has to be Filoni writing and directing it he's the only one who understands that character so um Um, yeah yeah I'm I'm very excited to see to see this character in live action and see what they do with her as well and to see how they even handle a Jedi in Mandalorian like it's gonna feel very different um yeah and yeah I'm I'm very very excited because she still has her lightsabers doesn't she I can't remember the end of Rebels 2. Like, I know it happened, but I don't remember what state she's in at the end. I think she, yeah, her, she goes off with um, uh, Sedin to, to find Ezra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. But the the lightsabers... Oh, oh, hang on. Oh, okay. Spoilers. I had to stop myself. Anyway, because um, <laughs> you haven't watched the rest of season seven. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anyway. Oh, oh. Um, whoops <laughs> let's let's just delete this let's delete this um, can you delete can you delete uh, let's have your memory wiped okay you'll be right. like C-3PO at the end of um, of Revenge of the Sith could you just say oh dear and we'll delete oh, your memory oh dear did, did you know the rumour is <laughs> C-3PO is called C-3PO because he was the third member of the Skywalker family sure yeah alright thanks for that <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what it was <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah this episode episode was great and what I particular the action sequences were amazing how they balanced mm. um cgi live action um the mandalorians fighting with jetpacks yeah. was how they've captured it in like clone wars stuff and it was just done beautifully like flying kicks and moving and, and it was yeah. exquisitely done very cool and long co- long corridors and hiding behind is very much what we're used to with clone wars uh, battle scenes within endless corridors um yeah Excellent stuff. And, um, oh, cameo from uh, the guy from Bosch, uh, Titus uh, Welvedere, was was the Imperial Captain. 
He was fantastic. The, the, the whole episode, I was like, I know him from somewhere. Turns out <laughs> it was from Transformers. Um, which, you know, <laughs> but the whole time, I was like, I know him from, from somewhere. Uh, and yeah, and he was great. <laughs> Love that. And 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 the uh, quick cameo of uh, Moff Gideon, uh, Carl, uh, Giancarlo uh, Esposito is amazing. Um, so, yeah, um, again, a powerful incredible fun uh dynamic episode more of a you know action uh heisty type uh, episode um to lead us into uh episode four which we get on friday yeah carl weathers episode carl uh, weathers is oh great uh is directing it yes another favreau written episode beautiful yeah so favreau's written all first all, all he's written the first four episodes powerhouse before you all comment and write in and email us telling me that it wasn't an esky, I found out, I just couldn't remember what it was. As you mentioned, coming back, you know, the little fan um, things. I've actually found out what it was, and I'm just going to enlighten you guys with a bit of trivia. Please do. Um, so the esky, sorry, ice cream maker. Um, in Empire Strikes Back, while um, Bespin is being, or Cloud City is being evacuated, uh, well, well, not evacuated, people are running around because Vader's attacking them. You see a guy who's um, credited as Wilro Hood running out carrying um, a prop, but uh, fans were able to identify this particular prop as a very specific brand of ice cream maker. And they have confirmed that this prop was actually an ice cream maker. They, it just looked spacey, so they used it. Um, he's become a bit of a butt of a, butt of a joke. Um, he's got a big cult following. People dress up as him and go um, to Comic-Con and they run around with this ice cream maker under their arm. And so what Favreau did is they found this ice cream maker and they used it in the first episode of Mandalorian. Um, and it is what, um, in the sin, yeah, um, he, I'm just trying to find the exact, so Werner Herzog's um, character promised Amanda a Camtono of Beskar in the premiere. That Camtono was later revealed to be a giant thermos of, of Beskar. That Camtono is the ice cream maker prop. So while they've reused this and people have recognised it as this ice cream maker, um, some people have gone, oh, well, that just proves that what he was carrying off of Cloud City is a, as a Camdono or like, you know, they're like connecting it in that way. But at the end of the day, Favreau's like, no, nah, we just wanted to have this ice cream maker prop <laughs> in the Mandalorian because it's got this cult following. Like hundreds of people just run through Comic-Con, just running around in circles, carrying these under their arm, playing this character. Um, so you got like them doing this and then fans doing a retro, a retcon of something. And you're like, it's cool. He's pro- he just, he was literally just carrying an ice cream maker because it looked kind of spacey and he needed to be carrying something. So they gave him that kind of like that guy in Star Trek that you see. Um, there's a, a famous um, clip of uh, Captain Kirk running around a corner and uh, things are going weird. And there's a guy just standing at a wall looking like he's turning something, but there's nothing on the wall. And it's just like, People pick this shit up when they watch it a thousand times. Um, so yeah, they've put, they've just, they were like, you know what? Let's find that ice cream maker and let's turn it into what he carries his bunch of steel in in that first episode. So um, thank you for letting me get through that because I was looking it up and I couldn't find Esky and I was like, what is it? It's a really cool little, little Easter egg. Um, that's a good Easter egg. That's good. That's that that that's a good find. That's a great. And find, And I mean, Jim. that just shows that the kind of budget they had on those original films, m- not less so for Empire Strikes Back. They had a bigger, bigger budget, but just use that. Looks cool. That can be spacey. Let's get, 
put that under his arm and give him run off with it. Well, it's oh, very much great. a case of, yeah, um, prop making at that time in sci-fi stuff is taking stuff they know yeah. and like yeah. and, and, and cannibalizing it and changing it and mixing it with other things and going, okay, that's a gun or this is a, this is a, a, a prop of some kind. So yeah, very much a case of they've still tried to keep that in essence in Star Wars. They kind of, they went a bit batshit crazy with the prequels where they could design whatever they They're definitely they doing wanted. it again in, in Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, mm recognizable whether they're recognizable from the original movies or whether they're just you know you can see that they've been mashed together it's cool it's like practical props um and like smart prop making and it's yeah very cool uh, one last thing i do like how the um <laughs> the mon calamari designs for ships so when it repairs um, oh, yeah. the razor crest it's like it's all fishnets and 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 like meshing and all this type of stuff and 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 and, and Mando just goes oh, fucking Mon Calamari what the yeah. oh man so so it's effectively like you know putting in you know, subwoofers and you know lights around the rims yeah. uh, but <laughs> yes. for fish um, okay so we'll, we're pretty it's a foregone conclusion but let's do the yep. rating system so well, what what do we each give the rating for the first three episodes of Mandalorian season three. Two ice cream makers. Two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, two thumbs up. This is excellent. It's fantastic. I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just such a good show, and it does feel like the original trilogy in that it's just a bit of fun. You don't have to overthink it like you did with the prequels or anything. It's just something to check on, have a bit of fun with. It's not as heavy as Clone Wars yeah. Or, uh, I know this might annoy Rob, as repetitive as Rebels got at points. Fuck you! Um, but it lets you... It, you can overthink it if you want to. Exactly. Like, you can watch exactly. it and enjoy it, or you can pick it apart and pick the bits that are relevant and what's, you know, canon and what's, you know, referencing this and that. And you, So you can overthink it, but you don't have to. Yeah, like, yeah. One, one fan review of it um, made comment, like, his favourite moment was the big machine that picked the razor crest out of the water and just said like, yeah. And that made the sounds like the, um, the ad hat walkers, the ATA walkers. Um, but just the scale of it and how it, 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 you can see the money behind it and it looks beautiful. It is that perfect blend of, um, live action, costume, production design, puppetry, makeup, uh, CGI. It's just, yeah, it, it can be grand scale. It can be small scale. Um, yeah, just incredible. Two thumbs up from all of us and a couple of ice cream makers in there for, for good measure. <laughs> and- Shout out, Wildrow Hood. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> right out for you. Um, so, yeah, that um, uh, now it's time for us to... Uh, uh, it's the plug part of our show. Uh, so this is where Sandro plugs everything that he's doing. And Jen and, Jen and I just sit back and go, oh, we used to do things. <laughs> well, not just everything I'm doing, because uh, you both have popped up on other things recently. Uh, mm-hmm, Rob, mm-hmm. you were on... Star- uh, I'm going to say Star Trek Discovery. You were on <laughs> Nerd Out Consumed, where we talked about Star Trek Discovery. If I was on Star Trek Discovery, I'd just be looking at Michael Burnham going, stop it, stop just stop it, Michael. Just uh, stop it. That was a fun episode. Episode number 29, I think. Uh, although you've probably already heard it if you are listening here. Uh, it's a good, fun episode. We'll get you back on again to talk more about Star Trek Discovery, because um, we're doing that weekly. Uh, and then, of course, you both showed up on episode 100 of Oldie But a Goodie, which is coming yeah. out in two weeks, I think. 
the episode this week, though, episode 99, we talk about Supergirl. Hey! The greatest superhero movie of the 80s. <laughs> and by that I mean the worst, but by that I also mean the funniest. Yes, it is a piece of shit. <laughs> it is awful. Yeah. Not, no, Helen, Helen uh, Slater could not save that film. She is absolutely amazing in it. No. Um, uh, Peter O'Toole couldn't save that film. Uh, Peter Cook couldn't save that film. Faye Dunaway couldn't save that film. Mark McClure couldn't save that film. Mark McClure. Anyway. Mark McClure. It's such a funny movie because the thing is, like, the writing and the directing is awful, but the performances are so not earnest because some of them are just Faye Dunaway being ridiculous for she two hours. She is so over the top but of that. It, it, it's such a see-through, we're just having fun movie. And yeah. I think... That makes it watchable, despite it being absolutely awful. It's not, you know, Superman 4 Quest for Peace, which is just nothing and boring. <laughs> it's, it's something and funny. <laughs> so, yeah. And then episode 100 is the week after that, which you were both on, which is exciting. Woo! So, yep. Um, anything you want to plug, Jen? No, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good too. <laughs> Thank you for asking, though. Um, so, yeah, um, please keep in touch. We'd love to hear what you thought of The Mandalorian. Get in touch with us. Any things that you'd like for us to review? There is nothing coming out next week. So give us something to review. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Seriously. Will Jen play her Force Robin Sandra to watch something Ooh. card? Will she play that card? Oh, it might be The Christmas Carol too. Or whatever that film is with Kurt Russell. Christmas Chronicle. <gasps> Miss, you didn't ask about the homework. Sandra reminds Jen that there's another Christmas Chronicles <laughs> movie coming out. Um, so, yeah, uh, as always, we're carrying on the great tradition here at Nerd Out. And instead of ending on a big high, we kind of just fizzle out and run out and get <laughs> exhausted. We, we just, just go, have a chat. We just yeah. have a chat. And we just go, as you, So, um... <laughs> So yes, uh, send us send us your email, send us your comments, keep in touch with us. All the uh, details of us are on the um, the links below. You can contact us on the email address. Sandro, what's our email address? Ah, uh, feedback.nerdout at gmail.com. That's right. I'm sharing the love. I hadn't forgotten that email address. Um, so yeah, please give us inspiration for what we want to do next week, or otherwise, Jen will be using her card. Will she be using it a bit earlier than she really should? It's up to you. Probably. Give us something to review next week. There is nothing. There's nothing. There is literally nothing. Give us something. We need something so you and we here at Nerd Out can do what we do best, which is, as always, Nerd Out. I mean, we could just spend an hour on The Mandalorian again, right? <laughs> <laughs>